when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It is November 14th, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio. I am your host, Austin Walker. Joining me as ever in the bunker, Danielle Riendo. Still very happy to be in a bunker. Out there somewhere among the digital pyramids, Patrick Klepek. I want to get a soundboard, so when you say Waypoint Radio, I go like... (laughs) Once I'm not, like, sick, I'll have to do my full, like, DJ Professor K... (laughs) Jet Set Radio, like there you go. Shout out. That's what I need to do once once I'm not still under the weather a little bit. <laughs> How are your weekends? We're in it. We're here. We we survive. <laughs> My weekend was awesome. I'll, I guess I'll start. I uh, I attended Gamer X right East. It was the very first. Uh, there have been four Gamer X's. In the on the West Coast in mm-hmm. California, uh, and this is G A Y M E R X. Yes, it, it's a queer LGBTQ inclusive mm-hmm. gaming conference. It's not like you have to be gay to go there, but right. you know, there's plenty of other folks. But it's a, like a very welcoming, very queer friendly, very like queer positive kind of space uh, for gaming. And you know, there are panels. It's sort of like a little mini packs. Uh, there are panels. Uh, Austin and I were both on a panel on uh, on Saturday night. Uh, with with Pet Bear four hundred four in it, which was it's always fun, uh, and also if, if Giant Bomb folks probably know yeah. a little bit about people, that. People know Pet I Bear. imagine people know about four. I imagine they know about the Bear Cave. Um, it's true. So that was very fun, and I was on another panel on uh, Sunday about uh, failing and learning from failure, and sort of you know crappy first drafts, and then sort of making yourself a better person through that. And that was all fun, and it's also just a fun very safe space to kind right. of hang out the, you know lots of folks come who might not be comfortable at a bigger conference or a less sort of super queer friendly conference so and that that feels like it was probably super well needed or super it was. appreciated this <laughs> it weekend. really was uh Catherine cross gave the sort of closing statements and she's mm-hmm. she's just this fiery speaker just incredibly intelligent uh, academic and critic um and she just you know really she brought the house down with with awesome. a speech that was like people were like I think you should you should run for office next. <laughs> it was very much about you know art and community and how those things are are ever more important in in times like this. So it was very very positive and a really wonderful way to spend a weekend after the week we all had. So yeah. that sounds that's a lot of reason. I was there for for one day and I had a really great time. Yeah. I was supposed to also go to another event and I I I was just so <laughs> sick and so out of it for almost all of the weekend that that I kind of retreated to my shell and in this scenario i am a turtle in this scenario (laughs) and have a shell um and and i played some games we'll we'll get to that in a little bit patrick what about you what was your weekend like yeah i mean i just walked walked away from everything we had family in town which was like a nice respite from you know it's just you can't check twitter you can't read message boards it was because i know i don't have 
the will, you know, I'll tell myself, I might even tweet about like, I'm going to walk away from Twitter this weekend nah. and then immediately look at Twitter. <laughs> An like I just, yeah, like, I just don't have the willpower, uh, especially currently to, to do that, even if it's for, uh, my own better uh, uh, interest, but so family, we had family in town to to visit with uh, with Jessica, and so it was nice because uh, there was just sort of an agreed upon. We're not going to talk about the last week, and why don't we talk about other nice things that are happening in everyone's lives? And uh, that that part was it was nice. I enjoyed it <laughs> totally. That sounds really good. That's you didn't get to get a chance to play anything over the weekend. I did. Yeah, I finished Infinite Warfare. Oh, cool. Um, which uh, continues to be a game that I, you know, uh, as I mentioned on on Friday, I think uh, is a much stronger campaign than people will probably not necessarily not get around to giving a credit for, but I think people are pretty. There's a lot of uh, people are tired of Call of Duty, and right. I think are are unwilling to give it a chance uh, in, in the ways that people might have in the past. Uh, I think shooters are, are in a large ways doing interesting things in, in other franchises and in other ways. So I think people uh, at this point kind of just write off Call of Duty and it's either it's the thing you buy every year for the multiplayer, uh, but you're not really going to get into it for the single player as much anymore. And, and this one is a really strong one. I think the, the story doesn't go anywhere by, by the end, but I think it has a really strong character arc. And as I mentioned on Friday, and it does this really fascinating thing at the end um, without getting into sort of the the details of it basically you know unsurprisingly you know people that you fight along with die uh, along the way uh and it is a uh, war it is that is, <laughs> it is, the it is yes. a war uh, uh a space war uh, as they say uh and is that and a, wait, credits, is that a thing that they say in that world they say like no it's no it's a space war i want it to be though okay. i want it to be a thing <laughs> Uh, but it, when the when the credits are rolling, you know, and usually in a game like Call of Duty or even a Ubisoft game, that is where I'm just, ha- you know, as much as I'm thankful for the people that spent many hours building this game, like your your credit sequences are like twenty thirty minutes long, <laughs> right? Um, and this game tries to actually gives you something to do during the the the, the credits, which is uh, for all the people who died during the course of the game uh, because you're in the military. I'm not sure if this is actually true in the military or this is just a conceit they built into. Uh, uh, infinite warfare um but if you are killed in action there's a sort of a there's a a letter uh, written home mm. uh to your family and so this on the screen comes up with uh all the characters that died during the course of the campaign and then you get to hear uh sort of their letter that they're writing home to their family uh, sort of like their closing thoughts uh on their life uh to the people does that manage to give them like characterization does it come across as heavy-handed it's, it's not heavy-handed and the characterization is actually you know i wish a lot of that stuff had found its way into the game it reads mm-hmm. as all in, so, in some it's really powerful uh, i thought at least in the context uh, that that um that it's put in but it also felt like Oh, we have all these characters were far more interesting than I even already knew. Right. But there was no way to put it into the game, and and so it works really well in terms of being the sort of a something to do during the credits, and gives a lot of color uh, and interesting context to uh, the characters. Like you know, you discover one of them was you know estranged from his father, and it's like that might have been an interesting detail right. throughout the course <laughs> of the campaign, but it didn't find its way in there. Uh, which is too bad because the the way the sort of general setup for Infinite Warfare uh, happens is it's almost it's a little bit like Wing Commander, right? Uh, in which like in between missions you go back to a, a ship hub, uh, and part of what I loved about the Wing Commander series or this I guess Mass Effect yeah, is maybe the I more Mass contemporary analog for this uh, uh, is you know you go back to a hub area and then you talk to the people who are in your crew and 
that gives this this wonderful opportunity to learn more about them that maybe doesn't come up in the combat scenarios, but it shades that stuff uh, in, in a way that, that is useful. And Infinite Warfare had this perfect opportunity to do that because all these people are there, uh, but it doesn't do anything with that. And it seems like they had come up with these... Even, you know, I, like I said, I enjoy the character arcs in, in Infinite Warfare, even if I'm sort of grading it on a curb, uh, or on a curve, rather. Uh, but uh, they had this opportunity to, they clearly developed characters that had way more depth than even right. granted throughout the course of the campaign. And they found a way to get that into it at the end, but it, it both uh, made it more interesting in retrospect and also bummed me yeah. out in retrospect because it would have made the sequences where, for example, these characters uh, are killed. A lot more powerful because you would have known a little bit more about, you know, sort of why they were fighting and who they were thinking about in those final moments. Yeah, it's a shame that uh, that didn't that, – that feels like it, it goes back to a question we got a few weeks ago, which was like, what is the hierarchy of writer, designer, coder, et cetera? And like, yeah, like I, I wish that stuff would have been part of the core design of the game to where like, yeah, let's make this home base a place where lots of characterization happens. You know, that seems that – seems, Again, in in the post Mass Effect world, it, that seems like a gimme in in some senses. Yeah, especially if you're making you know this game clearly wanted to uh, have you know sort of like meaningful characters. Like they weren't supposed to just be uh, fodder on the on the fringes uh, to to just be killed. And so they they kind of made a step in that direction, but then didn't take it. Uh, I think all the way, or at least you know, kind of like I, I've echoed a couple of times in, in games I played recently, where it just feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Where it's easy to say. It's also easy for me to sit on my perch and say, like, well, why did you just do this? <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and often I wish, you know, these are moments where I wish developers were a little more open of, like, well, here's how we made this decision right. and how we arrived at it. Um, we tried. Because, we tried it, and then this happened. Or, like, here was a, a limitation that you could never have known because you're not an expert on this one thing. Like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, so, yeah, I, I guess, I, you know, having finished that, uh, game, I would still uh, say to people, you know, if you aren't interested in the multiplayer, like I'm not necessarily going to argue that it's worth sixty dollars to jump in right now, but something to keep in mind for like, you know, in the spring if things slow down, like oh hey, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, you know, is on sale on Steam, like it is absolutely worth playing, and and I, cool. I really did uh, enjoy my uh, time with it. Otherwise, I I jumped into the first couple of hours of Dishonored Two, um, which uh, I, I was uh, apprehensive about just because I had heard uh, pretty nasty things about the PC version. Yeah. Uh, I will say it's not nearly as bad as uh, has necessarily been prescribed. That's also, you know, a bit of your mileage may vary based on your right? build, you know, right? People's, <laughs> yeah, yeah peop, you know, I have a, I have a slightly above. I have a GTX 970, so like I have a decent card, but one that is beginning to, you know, move into sort of like the middle of the pack in terms of what it's capable of doing. Um, there's clear optimization stuff they can do with the PC version just to color it for people a little bit. Like, it's, yeah, you know, I, I, I get, I'm getting 60 frames a sec. Like, here's a good example. It's like I could be staring at a globe in an empty room where there is no dynamic AI or environmental stuff happening and I'm getting a solid 60 frames a second. And I'm not someone that, you know, is 60 or bust. I'm just using this to illustrate uh, sort of the fluctuation. And then I spin a globe, which is just a little item that you can interact with, and then it drops to like 45. So it's like the game shouldn't be losing 15 frames a second when you <laughs> spin <laughs> a little static globe, which probably means there's some some stuff they can hopefully uh, uh, fix. But but otherwise, I I'm, I could not be happier to be back in the depressing <laughs> world of Dunwall. Um or I guess where the new place you're in is Car... Car- I haven't heard it enough times cool. to remember what it not is. Not Karnak. That's not right. That's not horrible. <laughs> it's a, it's a K, land. though. Yeah. It is a K word, isn't Kars- it? Karnaka. Yeah. Karnaka. Karnaka. Yeah. 
uh, it just feels good to be back in there. Like immediately, I'm slipping back into you know all my old stylings and, and how I played the original game. And uh, you know, I, I haven't gotten far enough to really uh, have too much to say about it, except that it feels like more dishonored. It, it is, sure does. <laughs> that's not something I'm going to complain about. Uh, who are you playing as? Oh, I, as much as I as much as I want to play as Corvo, as yeah. uh, much as I liked Corvo, it's just like playing as Emily is way too tempting. Uh, and I'm curious to find out from other folks how much. That is different. You know, I know that the powers obviously are, are a differentiator between those two characters, but I'm given the way that they set up the storyline for Emily, I'm like incredibly curious to see w- how that changes if you play as him. Right. Yeah. Me too. I think I'll go back to it at some point and, and even just see the, the intro and see see how that stuff goes differently. Have you started it, Daniel? Not yet, but I do have it. And okay. I'm, oh. We'll have to wrap back around. Like once we have some <laughs> yeah, more time, Friday, maybe this be, weekend, we'll yeah. actually have some dishonor time and we can wrap back around. I uh, I spent most of the weekend recovering from being sick, but then also late last night, like 1130, I was like, I really want to talk about Watch Dogs 2 because I played like, at that point I'd played, let's say, five or six, something like that, hours in the previous week, which is not nothing. Um, but I was like, I want to see if, it's, if, it, if my impressions so far are accurate for the next couple of hours i expected to go to bed around like 12 30 and then i went to bed at like four um <laughs> which a really good thing to do when you're yeah. sick. Oh, it's so good it's so well you know i'm doing the thing when i'm sick which is like i'm basically better and like no dog you're super not better you <laughs> need to be asleep it. you need to be it. um but i'm really happy i kept playing because i, I think i really like watchdogs too now like the caveat here, if, if it feels like there's a caveat, is because I feel like I've been burned so many times um, by Ubisoft open world games where it's like, oh, man, the first act, I really liked this. And then by the middle of act two, I'm like, hmm, like I'm just bored or I'm just, I, you know, the, the all of the interesting character development was up top or whatever. Um, but there's a lot here. And I think so much of it re- revolves around the cast of characters being enjoyable to be around in a way that I haven't felt like maybe black flag, but I think better. It's, I think it's way better than black flag in terms of like actually having characters. I give a fuck about, um, Assassin's Creed two, Assassin's Creed brotherhood, like is the, is the go-to Ubisoft joint that I think actually bears comparison here. Um, so the setup in Watch Dogs two is you play a, a, a guy named Marcus who is from Oakland, who, um, this is all, opening 10 minutes stuff that I'm spoiling here. So uh, Marcus was uh, unfairly accused of uh, committing a crime and put on probation because the algorithm said it was likely he did a thing. Um, and so he wasn't like a felon, but he did have certain restrictions put on his life because of that. And because of that, he became a hacker um, and ends up joining up with DeadSec. And like the intro was actually really weak. The intro of, of Watch Dogs 2 is super quick. And like, it's like, it's confusing how he very quickly gets in with this crew. Like maybe he was on an IRC channel with them, but it's not, it, but all of a sudden it's you and this crew of like, of like hacker misfits. Um, and everything that watchdogs one had a lot of problems and i think most of them arose from a sort of cynicism um it was obviously a game that was going to be critical about like the surveillance state and about algorithms and about big data and all of that uh but from that 
all the characters are also deeply cynical. They all thought the world was broken. They weren't, most of them weren't invested in making it a better place. Aiden Pierce, the, the lead character for the majority of, of Watch Dogs 1, doesn't give a fuck about CTOS, really. Like, it's just a tool he can use. Um, and that also uh, was something that came into into kind of material being in that game in a bunch of other ways, which was like, I've written about how, like, that's a world filled with people doing things like playing trumpets and, and you know, having conversations, but you can never interact with them. Marcus can interact with people. Marcus can walk up to somebody in a board game store and be like, oh, is that that new German board game? I really wish I had time to play that. Or, like, can have a conversation with someone about gentrification on the street. Can pet dogs. Like, and all of that stuff is nothing. Like, I understand that it's a layer, but it works as another method of characterization for Marcus, because I know who Marcus is besides a guy who, like, carries around a stun gun and sneaks into facilities. <laughs> um, and that's huge. That's, like, a huge thing. And then the cast of characters is also, like interesting to be around uh it's it's you kind of have a running chat going with them at all times or like in the middle of a, of a mission they'll call you up obviously it's like a it's a video game so you're talking to your your pals but yeah. that's like a huge separation from Watch Dogs one where your only real pals were like your depressed sister who was depressed because you got her daughter killed yeah. which is fair to be sad about that <laughs> Um, your like maniacal homicidal criminal friend Jordy, who was the worst, and then like some other criminals. Like no one was cool in Watch Dogs One. Like you never want to be around everybody anybody. Was awful. Yeah. Everybody was awful. Yeah. Um, and Watch Dogs Two, like everybody's really posy, and everyone is really like, how do we make this better? And so even the things like where you're breaking into someone to serve, like you're breaking into CTOS to like watch someone. Uh, those things in Watch Dogs One were were really like nihilistic and like oh this guy likes porn he's bad like that was like yeah. the the or like oh this person's cheating on their partner or like it was all super negative shit um and here when it happens at all it happens very rarely it happens in a way more um focused way it's like okay we're doing this as part of a mission it's not just like collectibles around the world is you're going to break into someone's privacy um they, they end up being comedic in this in this way that's not dark comedy but is like almost goofy um, Danielle, I think there's a lot of you in this game. There's yeah. a lot of puns. Good. There's a lot Good. of like, um, there are movie montages. Like there are like, <laughs> you know, there's a, I like, I'm rambling a little bit here, but I think that there is a heart throughout the first act of the game, at least that is very warm. Um, you know, there's a, there's a scene like the second thing that ha the game starts, you're like, all right, I'm here. I do the tutorial. I go into my hacker crew. I meet my hacker crew. They're they're neat. Okay, they're like, go out in the world and find out some stuff we can do. So you go outside and you eavesdrop on somebody in, in the park, and they're like, oh, some stuff is happening. Before I could go do the mission that I eavesdropped to find one of my one of your pals, this guy Wrench, who's the one with like the goggles that light up, oh, that and dude, yep. make different emoji or emoticons. <laughs> he's like. You have to come back. The trailer for Cyber Driver 3 just dropped. Oh, my God. And I'm like, what? Like, is this just like a fun like thing that they're saying? So I'll go back. Maybe there's a, a funny goof for me to go watch. So you go back to the home base and there's a cut scene where like Wrench grabs you by the wrist and leads you to the to the couch and you get really <laughs> excited with him. And you're like, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of Marcus Cross Wrench fanfic out Good. there. Good. Uh, there's going to be a lot because they are very <laughs> close friends. Um, and like they get super excited about this super cheesy shitty movie that is like a parody of the first Watch Dogs movie. It's about, <laughs> it's like fake Tom Cruise is a hacker in in Chicago and he's part of a group called like Death Sect instead of Dead Sec. Uh, and mm. it's, it's like pretty on point and it's like, I don't know, like all that stuff is really warm. Uh, and and that to me that changes the yeah. tone so much. 
Yeah, there's something else I, I wanted to ask you about. Totally. So I used to live in San Francisco. Totally. Uh, for several years, and I miss it, and I love it, but it's it's it seems like they actually wanted to do something with this. And they, they yeah. you know, the folk, they, I think it's pretty set that it was kind of a failure with what they did with Chicago in the yes. first game. Um, I'm wondering how the stuff with, like, tech money and gentrification, if, if that's, like, a it part of this constant. Of new game? Okay, Yeah, cool, so, like, cool. the big villain, uh, Ian, Ian Williams, who writes for us sometimes, sorry, it wasn't Ian, it was... It was who it was Cameron Cameron Kunzel, uh, yes, who also writes for sometimes described the villain to me as like a really good black exploitation villain, uh, in that okay. he's like a super rich white business dude who thinks he knows more than you about the world. Perfect. Um, yeah. But he's like this really arrogant young tech bro. Uh, but more than the like, oh, here is the personification of the tech bro. It, it is things like the Google buses are running everywhere. Sure. sure. Um, uh, there are characters in the world who do talk about gentrification. Um, there is a character in Marcus's life who is a, a, a trans woman of color, and her transness is brought up, um, but not in a way that is a joke or that is, nor is it meant to shock. It's she sure. is trans. Uh, her sister. It's incidental. It's incidental. Part of the world. Yeah. Uh, it's not. It's not quite incidental. There is a. There is a line of quests that go after uh, a mock Scientology group. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, and she is a councilwoman in the city and had previously been a target of theirs. Um, and they used her transness as a weapon against her. I see. And she's like, I don't give a fuck about that. Like, I'm bigger than that. Like, or she's she goes, like, I wasn't moved. Like, I wasn't scared of that or I wasn't wounded by that. Um, like, she's like pretty fucking tough. And there's actually tension between her and Marcus, not because of her transness, but because he kind of feels like she went straight and like sold out and became a councilwoman. I see. Yeah. And used to be a hacker or used to be on the, on, in the underground in some other way. Um, there is a, an autistic character in your crew. And I was like very much like, oh my God, they're going to fuck this up. Please do this right. Please do this right. Have you told me? that i would just delete the game and not even want to see I how they do, do it and then so there's like there are the, for the first like hour i was like oh they're gonna fuck this up so bad they're gonna fuck this up so bad and then he lands a joke that is like this the sort of joke that a lot of my autistic friends would make not about not on his own expense but on the like you fucking get it like you you yeah. figured out the the you read the social space like you're actually deeply aware of trying to figure out how to get into this social space right and make a, a really poignant joke and like nailed it um and then there's there's actually a really a really poignant moment later on where that character believes they fucked up and marcus like calms him down in a way that reminds me a lot of what happened in dragon age inquisition with um uh cole who is a yeah. character who can be read as autistic also um and so that stuff worked really well there was a mission last night that i played the one that kept me up was like breaking into noodle which is their google uh analog <laughs> Perfect. yeah and one of the characters who's in your click is another black dude named horatio aka ratio which is a good hacker name That's if your name is horatio really good um yeah. and First of all, like as soon as those two characters spoke on the screen together, they code switch into being like black dudes from Oakland. Sure. And it reads and it functions. And it's like there is again a warmth and familiarity there where you can it's not just, oh, they're they're speaking the way black people speak. Blah, blah, blah. It's it's like, oh shit, like I normally run in white circles. I don't get to be this version of me. This is fun. Uh and yeah. there's a that that is a very real thing and it's very cool to see that represented. And then like you get on this bus to go to the Google campus, the Noodle campus, sorry. Uh <laughs> and you get off the bus and Marcus grabs ratio and he's like, "Man, I don't feel comfortable here. Like you and me are the only people who look like us here." Uh, and then there's this like five minute dialogue that's filled with jokes and it's like actually really funny uh, about about like 
blackness and the lack of blackness in Silicon Valley, um, the lack of, of color in Silicon Valley, uh, like the lack of women. In, like it's it's a really it's sharper than I thought it would be on those things nice. is what I'll say. Um, and and that's coming from uh, Watch Dogs 1, which I think dropped the ball on issues of sexuality, issues of gender, issues of race, like constantly in huge ways painting with the broadest possible broadest possible brushes and even the fact that like the reason you're going there or one of the ways that you get into that place is because ratio who is who is your black hacker guy is also an employee at google so like even there it's not like saying everyone at google is evil do you know what i mean of course um that said i am at the end of act one uh, and so there is like the first little bit of tension has been entered into the group. Things things go. There was an act one turn. Things went of bad. Yeah. Uh, and now you're kind of on your back foot, and you're like, okay, um, the group is is things are maybe not as happy go lucky as they were before. And I'm a little concerned that there's going to be like the big dramatic. You thought hacking was helping people, but it isn't, and it's bad, and and not necessarily in a in a way that means anything. Like only in that cynical way. I'm a little afraid of that. Um, but there are things that I even even there that I think could be valuable. Like the the villain's kind of big phrase that that he said during your first major confrontation with him is like, like people don't care how this stuff works, Marcus. Like people just want it to work. They don't care that their data is being used, which I think is the accurate representation of of the way we need to talk and think about what the popular perspective on social media is. Um, we're coming out of an election that had a lot of uh, completely false stories find a home on Facebook uh, and Facebook coming out and saying, like, ah, we don't think that this really had a big effect on the election. <laughs> uh, so I, I appreciate that the game is engaged in that stuff, because if it wasn't, it would feel really phony, I think. I, I'm. It's really. Oh, go oh ahead. I was just, just going to say, I, I, I'm so happy to hear that, and I'm also annoyed because now I need to play Infinite Warfare yeah. and, and watch definitely too. Watch Dogs too. Yeah. And so I don't know when this is going to happen. What, what is time? But yeah, exactly. Yeah, Patrick, like, you were going to say something. Sorry. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I was I'm really encouraged. You know, let's say. Let's say the worst possible scenario is that Watch Dogs Two wa- uh, walks off a cliff yes. after this first <laughs> act, right? Um, even given that. I'm I'm encouraged and and would applaud Ubisoft for it would have been very easy after the original Watch Dogs to ditch any of the stuff they tried to yes. do in that first one, right? Like it would have been easy to say fuck it, you know, like, you know, trying to, you know, speak to race and like and thing and, and complicated matters like this. It's not worth it. Like we're just not going to do that. We're going to walk away. We're going to totally change the tone uh and and they obviously they did in in Watch Dogs, so they did change things, but it doesn't it doesn't sound like they walked away from the harder right. stuff. It doesn't sound like they walked away from complicated stories. And like when we, you know, uh, every, everyone on this podcast certainly was subscribed to this. Like when we talk about like the benefits of things like diversity, it's the ability to tell stories that are different and more interesting. Yes. And that's difficult because it's new. It's difficult because the people may not be in place to tell them or have not done the research to tell those stories. And Watch Dogs 2 appears like that, you know, the stuff with you know, going to, you know, this Google equivalent and uh, code switching, like, those are really difficult. Yeah. Uh, but, 
and like tight ropes to walk, and you could really see like that being go- happening in a pitch meeting and being like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. And then once <laughs> once you start writing it, going, oh god, like it, wouldn't it be easier to not yes. do this? Because it would be easier, easier so much easier, and that. to not only not to to not only do they do it, but they do it through a comedic lens over and over and over again. Like they're yeah. they're not. This isn't a preachy game. This isn't a game that's like or it gets it gets preachy at moments, but it, it almost feels like after school special, especially where it's almost laughable in the right way, it's where like it's a almost little corny. It's like exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, But the the stuff that's actually difficult is is handled with this like like we have to laugh about it because it's so fucked up. Uh, which is the vibe I was really needing, I guess, this weekend. (laughs) I maybe didn't realize it. Um, And I think there are all just lots of other little really smart design decisions that lift the tone. Uh, One small thing, and we can move on, is like. In Watch Dogs 1, you could hold down the profiler button, which was the way that you hacked into CTOS and and saw people around you and could read what their things were. Um, and you held it down, and it automatically jumped from person to person as you moved around the world. And so you were just, like, beset by data. It was just like, oh, this person has two dogs, this person has cancer, that person is an ex-felon, that person, you know, reads their spouse's emails. Like, just every, as you walk through the world, you're just, like, constantly devouring all these little bits of information. The profiler in Watch Dogs 2 has to be like targeted carefully to use it's not easy to be awash with other people's information you really have to take a step to seek it out and that means that you're not really playing the voyeur as much as you were in watchdogs one and that's a small thing but it feels like an important change in characterization through mechanics aiden pierce is the paranoid dude who is constantly (laughs) reading everyone around him for what they're in for like who they are you know, Marcus wants to go do wants to go talk to someone about German board games. He wants to go get <laughs> coffee. He wants to like go watch a bad movie with his buddy and like make cr- crack jokes about this Tom Cruise. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. About Tom Cruise or whatever, right? Like that's what he... That's who he is. And so, yeah, he'll hack people when he needs to. And just in general, like the, there is a, a real diversity in that group of hackers that they all feel like they're doing it for a different reason. Some of them are doing it because they're like people who like to experiment with technology and others are doing it because they came from, you know, really uh, privileged backgrounds and are now trying to like reach out and make things better for other people. And and I think even that is a is a really interesting step forward or strong step forward that like okay we want to represent that people who do this do it for a bunch of different reasons so i'm really hoping it holds on um it's it's really fascinating to me that we got this and mafia 3 in the same year um both of which have really strong performances Uh, marcus's performance for me is like really up there as like he sells it and there are moments when i can tell either a really smart director or writer changed a line because, like, the subtitle is different than what it is, or he, as the actor, was like, no, that's not how Marcus would say it. Like, Marcus, this is how Marcus would be. Um, and he is just, like, a, a really... Uh, sh- I keep saying strong performance, but, like, um, a really personable... Like, you, 
the biggest problem with, with Watch Dogs 1, no one gives a fuck about Aiden Pierce. Yeah. Aiden Pierce's iconic cap can fuck off. Yep. Uh, Marcus wears a bunch of different hats. You wear clothes, you buy new clothes all the time. There's a billion different things to choose from. Uh, and, and I think that, again, is just a really good symbol for how Watch Dogs 2 is separate from Watch Dogs 1. It's, it's, it's about a bunch of different options, about being colorful, about being bright, and about, about trying to make things better and instead of just kind of wanting petty revenge. So that's that's nice. That's, that's, that's that was a really nice, nice. nice surprise for me this weekend. Yeah, that um, sounds fantastic. Sounds like a good solve. Yeah. yeah. Did you uh, do anything else, either of you, or or what? What I wrote a piece about even the ocean. You did. That's live now. Yeah, it's live. It went live uh, this weekend, actually. Awesome. And uh, I've talked about it a bit. I'm, yep. I'm not going to go on and on about it. But even the ocean is a game that's coming out on the 16th. It's a really, really beautiful platformer, and it too has a lot of sort of good. Good sort of weighty uh, sort of story decisions and a lot of diversity. And it's it's really inherently about organizing power. Right. And, and people sort of rising up against leadership that doesn't really give a shit about them. Huh. And uh, that's re- and it's in this fantasy world. It's in this weird world where there's things like dream soup that makes dreams appear to other people and, you know, weird talking animals and things like that. But I also I think there's a power in that. I think there's a, a tremendous power in being colorful and being fantastical and and having, you know, like gorgeous art and beautiful music and then also kind of being like bringing it back home and, and saying a thing and, and being very, very intentional about the things that you're saying. And the folks who made the game, Joni Kitaka and uh, I'm going to try not to butcher, uh, Sean Hantani Chen Hogan, I think that's I'll his. double check your story. OK, <laughs> I believe that's that's uh, how you pronounce his last name. Um, they're both just incredibly politically aware People they're 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 younger. They you know they they sort of made their first game as a student project. This right. is their second game, and they're both just incredibly incredibly passionate about you know things like income inequality and political power and organizing and peaceful protest and sort of all these things that you know uh, they're also really really interested in sort of uh, looking at the 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 sort of phenomenon of the model minority so the the main character in this game is sort of east asian and uh they you know they're both uh, folks who identify as east asian american and sort of you know somebody who keeps doing their job and keeps doing their job and the sort of like white mayor of this of this town is kind of like oh yeah you're doing great you're doing great you're doing great keep doing this job and and the main character kind of keeps doing it even though there are there's some tension yeah. there and w- with sort of the folks who are being kind of crapped on. Uh, so there's there's actually a lot of really, really interesting stuff going on there cool. uh, politically. And of, and it's also a really awesome and fun platformer. So there you go. Uh, yeah, Sean Hantani Chen Hogan looks, okay. looks okay. correct. I hope I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so that's really worth And you're still playing through some NES Classic stuff, right? All of them. It's you and like no one else because I know. <laughs> it's actually it's you and a lot of other people because it's sold out everywhere. Yeah. But also it's sold out everywhere, which means there is a cap on how many other people can be playing the NES Classic. <laughs> what's Patrick? Do you have any idea what's up with that? The the, the, oh, the shortages. I mean, or is it short? It's, so like, I guess step one is like, I, I'm always I'm always like I always keep myself on the sidelines when stuff like this happens, um, in terms of like what my professional opinion is uh, when like oh there's there you can't find this thing anywhere in in stock um because it feels like it could be one of a billion reasons um like I, you know i think Occam's razor like you know is it more you know it, is it likely that they are constraining supply because they like the headlines or would they like to make more money like right. and, and my guess is nintendo at this point in time would like to make more money <laughs> maybe they uh it's i think it's incredibly likely um that 
They the response to NES Classic was a lot bigger than they expected, right. and it's it's this isn't. You know the the beauty of digital is that nothing sells out. You know the the problems of physical is that ramping up production is not uh, flipping a switch. Right. It's not uh, you know that stuff takes months. It's it's you know it's possible that you know after Christmas uh, you know they'll manage to catch up with supply and then you know people have forgotten you know sort of all of the the frenzy around it right now. But you know given given how given how Nintendo is do you know performing financially, <laughs> my guess is they would take every dollar they yes. could. And so the idea that you know. People have because people have said this over the years that Nintendo always ends up having short supply. I think that's because Nintendo is a historically conservative company, yeah. Yeah. and so they would rather make sure they'll produce this much, sell this much, make this much, and then if they ramp it up from there, they ramp it up. Yeah, from they there. don't want a situation where they have a ton of hardware in a warehouse somewhere yeah. where it doesn't sell and is costing them money to keep it stored. That's not a good. That's not a good business policy for anybody, but especially not if you're going to be a company like Nintendo that one is making lots of unique hardware and two is just deeply conservative economically um and so like that's the thing that's like i guess the thing that that bugs me often is that we are so quick to jump to the sort of like conspiracy theory they're trying to get headlines from this thing i I, you know maybe maybe i should be more cynical about this but but yeah i think i'm with you patrick i think i think this is probably just like oh yeah we didn't make enough um, but they've come out and they've said that they're going to get more out there this this holiday season to keep checking retailers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, are you still having a good time with it, though, Danielle? Oh, yes. Awesome. I, I, I've been diving deeply into a Kirby's Dreamland hole, and it's and it's a beautiful thing. Again, just, Kirby's Dreamland. It's so good. It's oh. really beautiful and really unique. Yeah. So uh, this is one of these, like, great this weekend games. Oh, it is. It really is. I, I'm so glad we all had something happy to play yeah. <laughs> this weekend it just it kind of makes me happy that like, we all kind of had something that was like brought us joy or something interesting or brought, you know because yeah. i think we all needed that maybe yeah it could have gone could have again it could have gone bad with watchdogs I, re- yeah. I was ready for it to go bad at any moment <laughs> uh but it, yeah. it seems like it, it hung on um i don't think there's anything else happen- go ahead patrick well, I was going to say, I do think what's interesting is that in 2016 alone, I think you've seen, you know, whether Nintendo is able to capitalize yeah. on this, uh, you know, is, is an open question. But between Pokemon Go, which they didn't, you know, develop, but, you know, used, you know, a property that is, you know, deeply associated with Nintendo. And I'm genuinely surprised at the sort of like fervor around Me the too. Uh, NES Classic. Um, I knew it would be a hit, but, um, you know, it, it's, you know, the... Uh, it seems like the average person is, is getting uh, excited for it in a way that uh, is genuinely surprising to me. And you can start to see the shape of how, you know, Nintendo can do something that a lot of other video games, you know, Sony can't do this. Uh, Microsoft can't do this. You know, they're a unique company um, akin to Disney in which they are able to leverage nostalgia in, in a very, very powerful uh, way. And so I, you know, it's it, between Pokemon Go and this, it's It'll be fascinating to see if Nintendo is actually able to, to to continue doing that in meaningful ways, or if you know twenty sixteen is just an aberration and it's a lot more difficult to do that than than they've made it look. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see too, like how the public carries forward its like love for Nintendo into into twenty seventeen. Like you said, coming off of Pokemon Go and now coming off the NES Classic, like are these things that Nintendo can properly properly leverage to make the Switch a big hit? Um, how does it do that? What's that look like? Uh, is there, you know, will there be some sort of Pokemon game on the Switch close to launch? Because if I'm Nintendo, there should be. There really should be. Um, yeah. So, so we'll see. That's that's this week's this weekend's news curiosity was definitely that. I think. 
let's uh it's it's friday so that we're sorry it's not friday it's not friday at all <laughs> oh wait really is it you. i'm so sorry awesome. it's monday i'm i'm <laughs> so sorry i didn't even get anybody's hopes up it's monday uh and and that means that instead of digging into the question bucket i'm gonna i'm gonna take some questions from the top skimming from the top skimming from the top <laughs> this comes in from Tallulah. Uh, and this actually, I think, connects pretty nicely to the NES uh, classic and, and the notion of archival. Uh, Tallulah writes, Hi, all. I've been loving the podcast. Thanks. Here is a question. How do you think efforts to archive and preserve video games should respond to the growing presence of games as services or large-scale additions slash changes to games post-release? A lot of great work has been done to ensure that the people who missed games at the time uh, that, or, or were born afterwards can go back and, and get a chance to experience them in the future. Um through things like good old games or emulation or, again, like the NES Classic, obviously, which is emulation, I guess. Um, but it feels like those uh, like those games were more clearly demarcated by individual releases uh, when things got changed. So there's, like, different arcade versions or different console versions, like uh, Championship Edition, Street Fighter 2 Championship Edition, or Street, Super Street Fighter 2, or whatever. Um, games that have patches... Tulula continues, large-scale DLCs or balance changes seem like they might be more difficult to archive. If somebody born in the future wants to see what the deal with Dota 2 is, will they just have the most recent build? Is video footage of the game in, in older states enough? Multiplayer games has, have... Uh, Multiplayer games or always online games are weird for other reasons like server availability, but this problem is present in games that are solo, too. Dark Souls games could be an example. Will someone who entered that series late ever be able to experience pre-patch Shrine of Amana or Curse being able to stack? Are there are those experiences valuable enough to put into restoring slash archiving? Do the developers have any responsibility to preserve those things or supply the community with ways to? Oh boy, yeah. I, I know some folks are, are certainly there. There are sort of museum efforts in, in certain places, like the Museum of Play, that right. go into this, and they're starting to look into these things. I, I personally think that games that have large enough communities and that have large enough numbers of people that really love them, I imagine a future, uh, a better future, where different versions of a game could be preserved. You know, so different eras of WoW or something. Mm-hmm. You know, different eras of. Of, of particular games, or even even something like Mass Effect 2, where the Shadowbroker DLC actually really, for somebody who, who right. was hardcore femship Liara, you know, it was it was really important to sort of my playthrough of that game. So that would be the version of the game that I would want preserved. I would hope that efforts would take into account things like communities and things like the sort of the lore that a community builds about a game, the sort of, you know, we talked about the meta a little yeah. bit. Something like that would, would, I think, have to be taken into account. Uh, for modern games, uh, which, yeah, does make things a lot more difficult. But I'm hoping that, you know, when we're in starships in the you know Star Trek future, yeah. the computer is so powerful we on the just... holodeck, you could be like, I'm going to bring up 2004 WoW today. Right. As I that's play it in a, in a cafe. The yeah. thing that's, that's <laughs> tough is so often a lot of these games have things that are server side only and those sure. servers go down and aren't available. Like I was a big Matrix online player. Uh, I was in that the makes field. all it kinds of sense for me. Uh, yep, it makes all kinds of sense to me. I was, yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's true. I, <laughs> what? Makes yeah. Sense. The leader of my guild died, and agents attended. Like not really. So in, char- in character, <laughs> for a second, she died. I was like, oh, shit. In character, she died, and agents attended her in character funeral. I really loved the Matrix Online. It was okay. The that's best. amazing. Um, oh, the, the Matrix Online one. Um, okay, looked really cool. 
Sure. Two, was ahead of its time in terms of like player run events and players affecting the outcome of story events. Uh, three, there is nothing like playing a character and then seeing an agent like at the end of a road, knowing that the agent is played by a GM because the Matrix Online live events team filled the world with actual like operated characters who you could role play with. Okay. And also who, incredible. it was so good. Yeah. It was so good. Um, and they would just chase you and like, like you run, it was a great experience. The combat system was really cool too, it, but it's gone. Um, because the majority of that game existed on the server. There are some, uh, attempts to emulate it. There are some attempts to, um, make a version of it that you can play. Um, <clears throat> but so much of the game was not client-side that even effort, efforts to reconstruct it have hit in some hard stops in terms of what can be done. And so, like, in unless whoever has that server data at some point brings it, puts it live, you'll never be able to go play The Matrix Online, like, as it was. And I was like, oh, it's gone. Uh, and, and so there's also the other thing there, which is that it also would be gone anyway in some sense because... I'll never be able to attend that funeral for that character, right? Sure. Um, and that's such a huge part of the experience. That's such a huge part of the experience, yeah. exactly. Like, I'll never be able to be betrayed by someone in my clan who switches from being the kind of... In that game, you were either you were either um, uh, human-sided, machine-sided, or the Merovingian, and who's from the second movie. Yep, that's a whole I, thing. I do remember. Uh, and yeah. and who's like switched from one of those sides to the other and betrayed us in the middle of a big like event, a big like combative event. Um, like that stuff was really cool and like felt really alive for its time. And that's gone. Uh, like no matter what happens. Um, so in some senses, the instead of archiving in in the sense of like I need to make this. Uh, available to play forever. There are certain situations where we need to be satisfied with video, but more importantly, we should be doing kind of almost ethnographic like work in in recording what the play experiences were yeah. like. There's a there's a section from this. There's a academic essay I really like by Andrew Hutchinson called "Making the Water Move," which is about mist and doom. Um, and uh, I'll just read this little section. He writes. Um, a convenient indicator of the development of computer speed and aesthetic ambition in games in games designers during the 1990s is the treatment of water in the Mist series. By the time Real Mist in 2000 uh, came out, the water was fully real-time rendered. The surface of the oceans moved and had surfaces surface effects like foaming and the wa- and the weather changed as you watched. Back in 1997, Riven had, quote, photorealistic still images of the ocean and managed in one scene to animate the part of the ocean closest to the shore. Uh, The oceans of the original mist in 1993 are completely flat and frozen without any visual motion on them at all and look quite ridiculous now compared to any of the subsequent versions. However, it is very important to note that they did not look frozen in 1993. Not only was it not technically feasible to do water effects in 1993, it was not expected. At the time, Mist was the most audio-visually detailed virtual experience ever had on a personal computer. In the same way, Doom's sheer speed of response made it compelling despite its low resolution. Their aesthetic and immersive impact cannot be denied as surveyed from the sales figures and the press at the time. And because we have that press... And people saying mist is incredible. Mist looks beautiful. We understand. We can understand that aesthetic component of it, and in a sense, that is part of the the kind of wall of archival work sure. being done. Um, it's one of the reasons why I don't. I don't. 
necessarily I, it's one of the reasons I push to have really descriptive prose in game reviews and game criticism um, because like don't just tell me it looks good what's it look like to you give me yeah. give me an analogy paint give me, me that picture. paint me that picture yeah. because 10 years from now someone's gonna look at Watch Dogs 2 and think it looks like garbage totally um, I hope like I hope games yeah. continue to look really cool uh, and so but being able to point to a specific thing that someone's written and say like oh this is what it looked like to them is part of the archival process um Patrick, do you have any archival feelings? Just archival feelings? Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag just archival feelings. Uh, no, I mean, I think you guys, you know, touched on, on a lot of it. You know, I think the, you know, the difficulty is, uh, you know, the problem, a lot of the problem with archival uh, issues in video games is that it's a technologically focused medium. You know, the advantage of other mediums is that they're relatively static in how they're presented, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, with the way that uh, film changes. Yes, there are big differences in how it's been, you know, distributed and the formats, but like ultimately like those barriers are far different than, you know, trying to, I mean, people are still have trouble emulating bits of the Saturn, you know, um, and that machine came out <laughs> a long time ago. Um, uh, the PlayStation 3, I Lord knows whenever they will able to crack something right. like, you know, the, the, the cell, the cell totally. because it was so uh, unique and weird and, you know, as advanced as our computers are, uh, you know, they, they're going to have trouble running stuff like that for, for a long time, provided they even find ways to reverse engineer. Um, it. And so, you know, that, I mean, that's the, you know, it's a combination of, of technology being a hurdle and then also that uh, game companies just in general uh, tend to only cynically uh, exploit uh, archiving and history when it is uh, for financial profit. Right. Um, we don't really have um, all the proper mechanisms in place to uh, sort of have a third party. Um, you know, like you know, you can submit games to, you know, to, to to federal databases and stuff like that. But from my understanding, it's like all that stuff is extremely behind the times technologically too, where it's just uh, it's it's not going to be surprising in twenty years that it's going to be tough to find some of that stuff, and and that is a bummer. But but thankfully, there are people that don't care how much of this stuff is legal or not legal and kind of keep going right. out there and, and find a way to make it work. And yeah, I mean, that whole flare up over the, the world of Warcraft legacy servers, which is what maybe six months yeah. ago or, or a year ago. I can't remember when, when all that happened, like people, you know, like, you know, your experiences uh, in matrix online were like those people's experiences with uh, legacy world of Warcraft. And for people that don't understand what that means, that's just, you know, the early parts of world of Warcraft have been patched and re-da- remade and, and redone and, and, uh, you know, in some ways made better probably for, for some people, they just prefer playing in that original world and there's no way for them to do that. And so people did that on the side, they built up and reverse engineered servers and then blizzard shut all that stuff down for, uh, copyright reasons, which are understandable from blizzard's perspective. But, uh, these people were, you know, possibly happy to pay for the ability to totally. play a very specific version of this game, but uh, it doesn't exist. And so, you know, that part is, it is a bummer for, for folks that want to have that very highly specific version of an experience, especially because a lot of it's tied up in nostalgia. It is, it is a difficult thing to, for me, when I think about the history of video games or the, the, not the history, the future of video games, because this is one of those stumbling blocks that very clearly separates games from other artistic media, right? Like, I know how to archive every book. There, <laughs> that technology exists. Now, making all that accessible or, or making sure that original copies don't get destroyed. Like, obviously, there are a number of ways you have to be careful and all of that. But like, oh, we need to make another print of this thing. We can do that. I can take images of this of this 
book and now I have a backup. Um, we film. There are lots of ways to archive film easily and, and indirectly. Uh, music, same thing. But because of the way technology works, like it's just not that simple with games yet. You know, maybe one day our computers just get so powerful, like you were saying, Danielle, like where we just Enterprise. brute force it. We'll never maybe get cell processors again, but like, eh, we'll just brute force it. We'll just yeah. we'll yeah. take those assets and just, uh, brute force it. So the Very enterprise cool. can do it. So, yeah, um, but like, it, it is it is definitely for me a troubling thing, and it's a thing that I, I would love to see more resources uh, put into, more grant money, etc., to like ensure that the people who are at the forefront of this can can do it legally and can do it um well you know so i have a question sure i'm thinking about this and it seems that the types of games that are going to be much more difficult to archive they're multiplayer games and they are games in which the multiplayer aspect is not just you know sort of competing but it's also sort of collaborative storytelling process and of course you know after we had our beautiful tabletop session i'm now thinking about that Are, are there methods like to preserve campaigns in in like the tabletop space is there yeah, anything so I mean, akin to this in, in uh, tabletop? yeah so the tabletop space is really interesting because it, it it's not just like there's two ways to think about this like on one hand yes you could totally preserve the campaign you ran with your friends by recording it that's what i do sure. friends at the table hashtag friends of the table there you go yeah friends underscore table on twitter <laughs> um we we do it uh, and adam and i you know and we we've done it a bunch of times and we did it during our 72 hour live stream so yeah you can just have a recording of it um but there are also uh, a long commercial history of producing campaigns for people to play through. So like on top of selling you the book that tells you how to run the game and then maybe a book that has some monsters in it for the person who wants to run the game to be able to use and some other setting details for a long time. The thing that like was the, the most constant D and D kind of supplement that you could buy was just like, here is a, here's a game for you to run. Like if you were the the DM and you don't want to spend, you don't have the time to spend coming up with, you know, skeleton, Lord, birds and <laughs> skeletons that can smell farts. Like, yeah, yeah. If you don't have that time. Uh, here's a book, and like, just go through the book line by line and read it to your to your players and read the outcomes. And here are the monsters. And so that model totally works for saving your campaign. I've had people ask me, fans of Friends of the Table, to produce that sort of stuff for the settings and stuff, where it's just like, oh, well, here's the world. Like, you'll never be able to necessarily here you know play in with me one-on-one but here are the building blocks for that for that stuff um so that stuff totally could happen on, on that way and i think that you could maybe if you had the right group of people play the matrix online again one day if you had a hundred people committed to playing once a week at the same time sure, or something sure. um but that's a lot of work and uh, not necessarily <laughs> yeah. something that's easy to get together uh so it's it's weird and also and also i i tend to resist the notion of cataloging sure um sure i i don't i get where it comes from um i understand i wrote about this when i wrote about undertale last year because i think i think undertale was one of those games that was filled with a bunch of weird little side stuff that was really cool and i know i missed a bunch of it but for me one of the messages of undertale was that like Oh, being the person who wants to collect everything is not really a good trait. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, it's obviously fine if you're that person or whatever, but like, you shouldn't do that at the cost of other things. And that game very cleanly sets up what the cost of going back to collect things is. <laughs> um, and so the, I have a, a sort of a similar, 
amb- kind of um, uh, ambivalence about over cataloging my own creative work. Um, like, I don't want to just say like, oh, here's all of the prep for Friends at the Table season two. Here it is. This is it. This is it right here. Because that <laughs> isn't the thing. The thing is like what happened live at the table. Sure. Um, it's cool to have maps. It's cool to do all of that stuff. Um, and in fact, one of the, the rules that I bring to, to tabletop gaming nonstop um, comes uh, from from the set of games that uh, Adam's Dungeon World comes from, from, from Apocalypse World. I actually don't remember if it comes from Dungeon World or from Apocalypse World, but it's draw maps but leave blanks, leave blank spaces. And, like, that is how I like to run tabletop games, and it's also kind of how I feel about the archival of these these big old games, these big old MMOs and stuff, where, like, let's let's... I would love to be able to go back and play... I'd want to make sure that the sort of play experiences that did happen were are properly archived, but also we need to be okay with the fact that we can't always rec- recreate the past. Like yes. we need to use that, those experiences as inspiration for new experiences. Um, uh, and, and, you know, support the people who are doing interesting things in those spaces. So that's, that's my, uh, that's my suggestion. It is uh it is the end of of our hour here. <laughs> it I don't is the mean end. to sound like a, a therapist, but um <laughs> uh thank you so much for listening. Danielle, thank you for being in the bunker. Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, they can find me over here at Waypoint, but they can also find me on Twitter, Danielle R I, and if you really want to go to my Facebook uh, page is Danielle Riendo Writer. Nice. Patrick? Wait, are we doing Facebook? Yeah, stuff? we're doing it. We brought it back. Why back not? to Facebook. <laughs> Actually, no, I'm petitioning. Until Facebook says that they fucked up by not, uh, by, by including yeah, you know what? fake news on their algorithms. I'm not promoting. Screw it. Never mind. Just I, go to my Twitter. I did just like, yeah, well, well Twitter, of course, the Paragon of Virtue. Yeah, better. there you go. Oh, boy. I know. Patrick, where are you on the internet? I guess I'm at, pa- at Patrick Klopik, <laughs> and I guess um, maybe I'm at... Pete Klobuchar on Facebook, I'm not sure. You decide. You, you decide. I, I tell you, you right. decide. I'm at Austin <laughs> underscore Walker on Twitter, at Austin Walker Games on Facebook. I've linked to my Twitter and Facebook now, so there will be content, hashtag content oh, on smart. the Facebook. Yeah. Um, you can find all of Waypoint stuff at waypoint.vice.com. We are uh, at Waypoint on Twitter. We are Waypoint by Vice on Facebook. I think that that's correct. I think it's Waypoint by Vice. Waypoint Gaming. Waypoint Gaming. Is it Waypoint Gaming? I'm checking. Uh, no, it's Waypoint Vice on Waypoint on, Vice on Facebook. Uh, so check those out. Uh, obviously, we have a lot of great stories coming over the next um, couple of days. Uh, th- shout outs to to uh, Dan Rosado, who is our our audio engineer today. Shout outs to uh, Tim Barnes, who is our producer. Shout outs to you for getting through this week. GamerX. Shout out to GamerX. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, stay tuned. We have more coming for you this week. Hopefully we'll do a stream in the middle of the week if our internet holds out <laughs> this time. And we'll be back on Friday. So, uh, so check you then. Peace. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination.
yahoofinance.com.